Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on the unceded Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long, long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, sharing stories, song, and will be for generations after us. And we, me included, are privileged to do the same today at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders, past, present, and emerging. We are coming to you from Redfern right now. This is the birthplace of black theatre in this country, and it's a site for resistance and resilience for First Nations peoples. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show uh, hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Darren Lasagas. And has a Facebook group changed the way you connect with your ethnic identity? Text me on 0409-945-945 with your experiences. I'm talking subtle Asian traits. I'm talking ethnic-specific social groups, dating sites, uh, or dating Facebook groups. 0409-945-945, let me know. Uh, we're joined right now by artist and researcher Sab D'Souza, who submitted their honors thesis called Felt Safe, Might Delete Later. Uh, just a few months ago, uh, Sab, first of all, congratulations on the submission. Thank you. And, I uh, might regret it later, but you know. I mean, it's in the title. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, welcome to Race Matters. Um, your thesis explores belonging and Facebook groups in Australia and focuses on a now defunct Facebook group uh, called uh, the Women of Colour Web. Could you tell us a bit about the group and why you chose to look into that group specifically? Yeah, so I began my research or like began my journey into like online spaces, I guess like through Tumblr when I was a lot younger. Um, but then kind of went out into Facebook groups, um, specifically this, oh God, I haven't been on radio in such a long time. <laughs> um, I guess I started, it was a group predominantly for women and non-binary people of colour. It was started um, by a group of people in Melbourne, uh, fresh out of high school. It was a way for us to kind of expand on our identities and kind of like fight and talk politics. Because we were all like, I don't know, baby teenagers kind mm. of in like a predominantly white schools and things like that and so it was a way for us to kind of come together I guess like one passage of my thesis that I always remember is like walking through the street and seeing someone that I met through a Facebook group and us both like smiling at each other and then my white friends would be like who is that like how do you know them and I'd be like oh I know them from the internet like <laughs> you don't know them it's fine but it was this kind of public and private version of intimacy that we kind of were able to cultivate together yeah there was a time when 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 you said um, like when people would say, I know them from the internet where it was weird, but I feel like now it's fine. Like, oh yeah, that's normal. Now, now yeah. it's super, super normal. Yeah. And it's a, predominantly we like the function of like Facebook and MySpace and well, MySpace is a bit defunct now, but I'm going to go for it. <laughs> um, I guess like maybe if you're looking at something like Tumblr, uh, we're kind of linking up with people that we don't know. And we kind of do that through the performance of our identity, the images that we share, maybe the things that we tag ourselves as. Mm. We're kind of trying to be recognizable to large uh, groups of communities. Whereas somewhere with, like Facebook, we're being connected with people that we already know. We're like previously networked peers, I guess is mm. the academic term that I keep reading about. Um, 
but it builds a kind of different version of trust because there's like safety and anonymity like tumblr where you can say something personal and it can just go into this echo chamber of other people saying things that are personal but with facebook there's like an element of risk because a lot of these people who are posting these groups myself would often preface like deep personal things with if you know me irl in real life don't mention this. So there was like a, a kind of tension there, which I was really fascinated by. Yeah. Um, when you look back on these groups and uh, study them through the lens of writing a thesis, was there anything that was uncovered that you hadn't previously thought about or things that surprised you about these groups? I guess what surpri- like surprised me, on, like it didn't surprise me, but like I was really lucky. I got to interview like five participants across Melbourne and, or six across Melbourne and Sydney. And um, I guess coming together a lot of their experiences and like lives kind of mimicked my own and also was vastly different in the same sense. But all we said was like, it was very impactful. Like if you've ever been in a Facebook group, you've witnessed a Facebook group fight mm. in which like, or if you've ever been in a Facebook group, it's probably been deleted very like randomly out of nowhere. And you've kind of tried to like figure out and piece back the, um like what happened. Cause for me, that's kind of what happened with this Facebook group was we were, I was like in, I think it was like 2017, I was in Japan traveling with my friends and I was like posting to this group all the time. And then all of a sudden I tried to click on it and it was like, this content is no longer available. And I was like, where did all of it go? Mm. And so I started messaging people that I was friends with on the group and we tried to piece together what happened and remember posts. And a lot of my thesis, I guess, was meeting with these people and speaking to them again for the first time in like five years and being like, cool, so like what happened and what do you think happened? And here's what I think happened. Yeah. So what do you think happened? Oh, it's <laughs> it's it's complicated. And like there's yeah. a lot of different issues of, um, I guess, an imagined community, what we as a community want to happen in the group versus like what is mm. actually happening. Um, people often want to feel um, included. People are fig- figuring out their like identities for the first time in a way that I guess the infrastructure of Facebook kind of forces us to because it's an incredibly harmful infrastructure. I don't like Mark Zuckerberg. Come find mm. me. <laughs> I don't think many people do. Um, but basically it kind of forces people to find community through the exclusion of others and policing practices. So like if someone violated a group policy, then someone else would be like, you violated a group policy. And then another person would say it. And then another person would say it. And that was them making bids for like community through that. But it also made a lot of people feel obviously very socially ostracized. But what was interesting, I guess, for my participants is they said like, even though it was extremely painful and like we fought a lot and like it was messy, it was really important in, I guess, like a journey of figuring out who we were and how we are as a community together. Mm. It's interesting in that you can chart the growth of your identity or the understanding of who you are as a person in the length of the Facebook group. Once it kind of dismantles or falls apart, is there a need or a want to create another one? Well, yeah, this was another interesting fact is that so fact or like piece of information that many of my participants kind of like gave to me was like Facebook groups don't exist in the same way as they did like in 2007 between 2012 to 2017 which was the I guess the how this group ran its course um they just don't exist like that anymore a lot of them have gone don't use Facebook anymore Mm. and have realized how harmful that infrastructure is but also really crave that community and like continue to try and make it like I manage a Sydney Park artist group in Sydney obviously (laughs) not obviously that I manage it obviously it's in Sydney Mm. um and the same issues that were happening way back in the other group that I studied are happening now 
currently like those issues haven't really been dealt with which is issues of safety and privacy and whose joy are we kind of prioritizing in our work and how do we create space online that acknowledges the land in which we're accessing Mm. um, these technologies from because I think to see online space as like a utopian non-space it it denies like the colonial history of the land that we're living in yeah so what is the key so you said you're an admin of sydney park artists uh, community what is the key key to a successful facebook group then oh my gosh (laughs) i don't know i'm figuring it out someone tell me um i guess at the moment like what we've been trying to do is it be like acknowledge the infrastructure that you're working within Mm. something like facebook um prioritizes visibility and also of its admin as a way to give a sense of security in the same way that like certain people might feel safe seeing police i don't Mm. (laughs) and and so like it's built within that hierarchical structure of power so understanding as an admin the power that you hold and the also like the the power that you kind of enforce onto other people and constantly being self-reflexive with that and asking your community like what you can actually be doing to help guide and not lead you know so yeah this is race matters you're with darren lasagas and we're talking to artist researcher and self-professed sub-tweeter sab d'souza um and we're talking about uh the power and uh use of facebook groups when we're connecting with others on the basis of um, identity. Uh, a lot of the development and visibility of queerness and queer identity is born in online communities. I feel like it's a fact of like just growing up queer in modern society. When you also identify as queer or non-binary, how does that affect the way you connect with others online? I thought you were going to say, how do you connect with others? And I was like, whoa, <laughs> in general. huge question. <laughs> I mean, please tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Please, I don't know. Um, I guess in terms of my research and like myself, looking at... So like a a big part of my research was looking into safe spaces and what I've learned is also like the term safe earth spaces, which acknowledges the fact that a space can never be fully safe, Um, which is like a really important kind of um, thing to acknowledge. Because I think when we build these spaces, we often are like, we often try and build it through this idea of containment. So we try to make something airtight in many ways of like trying to conceal parts of our identities from other people. We Using Facebook, like one way that I might interact with Facebook might be vastly different to the way that I interact on Twitter, which is just my sad subtweeting versus (laughs) like something like Facebook, which is like maybe like an art show and then my Instagram and understanding that the way that we perform our identities in these hyper-mediated spaces is very intrinsic to how we understand ourselves with other people. And I don't think that it's anything new. I just think it's a new way that it's being mediated. We used to do this all the time with, you know, the way that we dress in certain places, taking, for instance, like sissy ball on the weekend and like wearing a coat on the way um, Mm. for safety before you go and you like reveal your outfit when you're there. We do these ideas of concealment to protect us. And I don't think that the concealment is a bad thing. I think it's something that like is an integral part of how we um, have learned to operate and like be and exist in the world and survive. Mm. Um, that's so interesting. You bring in the idea of the connection of concealment physically to like an online space. What are some ways that people practice concealment on online? Well, I guess like there's the... I guess like a great example for me recently is I finally put they, them in my Mm. um, Instagram bio, which is something that I didn't do for a really long time. It was actually the whole like, oh, let's do another coming out story. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um. Every time I've been, I only came out to my parents like as non-binary queer and all these things like in June last year after my graduation I was like hey let's drop some information they knew if they ever <laughs> listened to FBI radio between the years of like 2015 yeah 2000. I was about to mention earlier but yeah Sam and I go a little ways back when uh, Culture Guide uh, was hosted by Sam on a Wednesday and we would just take any opportunity to come out and just we would kind of try and one up each other and make <laughs> each other cry it would constantly be like who can tell the saddest story like let's go let's go who, who won <laughs> I don't know I mean I think- I think I won. Yeah. I, do you think you won? I mean, what is winning in that situation? <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> um, anyway, um, for a really long time, I didn't, you know, use they, them on my Instagram profile. I think one day one of my friends clocked it when I posted a photo saying they've arrived. And then my friend messaged me being like, hey, are you using these pronouns now? Like, should I be using them? Like, what's going on? And I was like, yep, you can use them. I'm still figuring it out. But again, ask me in six months and I'll know. After coming out to my parents, my parents then told the rest of my family. And then from there, I was, and I have a lot of my cousins and like external, like extended family friends and stuff like that online. And so I'd never put it officially in my Instagram, which I think is a very common experience for people, Mm. even though there might be certain posts and things like that, but you just don't want to make it as searchable as possible. And so I think those practices are not disingenuous or or um i know not being your authentic self they're just ways in which you can become comfortable with how you want to navigate the world and what you choose to reveal to people and what you don't choose some people choose to just not be on social media entirely as a way to like combat that Mm. it comes down to this basic idea that there's no right or wrong way to be queer um exactly (laughs) you're like and soundbite that and send That's what we're all about here. We don't have sound bites. Uh, speaking of, I guess, sound bites, but like you touched on the idea of safe space, um, and it's kind of this term that people come into contact with a lot throughout life, I guess. But especially for people who are minorities, um, if you're a person of color, if you're a queer person of color, especially, um, you see it in uni spaces, you see it in some workspaces. For someone who is being first introduced to this concept of a safe space, but doesn't necessarily feel safe. Um, what would you say to them? I guess that if you don't feel safe in a place that's meant to be safe, um, you need to have the people who are organising that space need to be looking at what who they're prioritising and whose joy they're looking towards in because what might be safe for one person and one identity is not going to be safe for another. And we as, as community builders, as space builders, as admins, who are also, you know, kind of cops anyway, um, we need to be thinking about whose safety we're prioritising and who's, um, yeah, who we want to have in the space and how we're going to make sure that they can get the most out of it. Yeah, there is work involved with it. And I feel like uh, it's hard to not feel disheartened when you see something identify as safe space or posing itself as a safe space, but knowing full well that it's not. I think a movement towards the idea of a safer space is maybe more useful. What do you think of that? I I definitely agree. I think it's also that we exist. I was about to say we exist in a society. I was like, (laughs) no, I'm not doing this again. Um, But we, we are like in a generation and in a time and place where most of, at least the people that I interact with, have the language of accountability and have the language of um, like activism and politics and know how to navigate and use the right words and, you know, talk about transformative justice. But we need to also look at that as the actual work and what it actually means to apply those words. Like, how are you being accountable? Because it's this thing of 
are you being a representative to something or are you being accountable to that community? Um, and so I think that's something that we really need to focus on is how do we actually apply the words to the actions that we're doing? And that comes from like literally talking to people and engaging with them and um, figuring out like where your priorities and values lie and also how your actions match up with those priorities. Cause you might have them and be like, yeah, I really value this certain thing, but it's like, okay, but what have you actually done towards that? Absolutely. Um, so we are close to running out of time here on Race Matters, but there is a question we pose to our guests before we let them go. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> Sab, when did you realize there was power in your race? Oh my, okay. Oh, do I have an answer for this? It can be whatever you want it to be. Oh, once when I was a kid, this is like not a good, this is not a good answer. Um, once when I was, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think the phrase ethnically ambiguous hottie was used okay. a lot, was yeah. used a lot in my teenage years, which became this way for me to like, I guess I was trying to navigate myself as mixed race and also as a person of color in a predominantly white school and trying to, I guess, use my identity as a way to slip through certain bits and conceal certain parts of my identity to be able to be in certain spaces. I don't use that term anymore. In fact, when I tried to talk about it in my thesis, I think I wrote ethnically, no, ethically ambiguous body. And I was like, <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> but it could be. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Online, probably. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Sab D'Souza, thank you so much for joining us on Race Matters this afternoon. Thanks. <laughs> and thank That's you. Said, right? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said I will see you at the end of every show. Every so. time you came on the show, you ended it on a weird inflection. I was like, I love it. Yeah. We love that. Uh, you've been listening to Race Matters, and you can listen back to our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or at fbiradio.com slash race matters. 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 Race matters.